Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number 143 of the Mandolins of Beer podcast, brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe. Hope everybody is doing well out there. Um, Dan Tominski this week. That guy's a bluegrass superstar, everybody. Couldn't believe it, so super excited to have him on. He has such a great attitude, and man, really great stuff in this one. Great advice, and just a cool guy all around. So he's got an EP coming out. It's a tribute to Tony Rice, and it comes out on July 22nd. So mark your calendars. Be sure to get that. The single of Church Street Blues is already out there for everybody to check out. And there's uh, four more tunes on there, four or five more tunes on there. And it's great. Great guests on there. Billy Strings, Molly Tuttle. She sings on Church Street Blues. Sam, Sam Bush playing mandolin on there. So be sure to check it out. Speaking of checking things out, I hope everybody has checked out the uh, Straight Up Strings deal. 10% off sets of mandolin strings from StraightUpStrings.com. Roger has put so much time, thought, and energy into these strings. They're engineered with compensated downloads for optimum balance. I'm not really sure what that means scientifically, but you can check it out at the website. You can hear every note of every chord with these strings. That's the tagline. And uh, again, I highly recommend you go to the website. You check out the story behind the making of the strings. You sign up for the newsletter, and then you enter the code MANDOBEER, all caps, all one word, at checkout and get 10% off straight up strings. I love trying out new strings and new picks. And what better chance to do it than getting 10% off from Roger Simonoff at Straight Up Strings. Dot com. Peghead Nation. Peghead Nation. They have the best group of mandolin teachers out there. I mean, this lineup, if this lineup was playing a festival, you'd pay to go to this festival. Sharon Gilchrist, Joe K. Walsh, Mike Compton, John Reichman, Aaron Weinstein, Marla Fibish, Chad Manning, and Ian Corey. That's some high-powered mandolin instruction for you. And the best part is you can get the first 30 days for free if you join any of Peghead Nation's video courses now. Just go to PegheadNation.com, use the promo code MANDOLINBEER, all one word, at checkout. You get the first month for free. These courses include high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, play-along tracks, plenty of tunes and songs to play, and they even have video content of the uh, teachers playing and jamming together. Man, it's, it's the best. PegheadNation.com. Northfield Mandolins, let's build more than a mandolin together. Check out their website at northfieldmandolins.com and download their app at mandosummit.app for lots of special performance recordings, demonstrations, and special workshops. They also have their Marshall Mandolin Summit. That is August 4th in Marshall, Michigan. And um, my buddy Keith from the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast, his band Wilson Thicket is playing, and uh, they got some great players in that band. Uh, Besides Keith himself, they got Jason Denny and my boy Aaron Markovitz. And um, both those guys are killer mandolin and guitar players and singers. So if you're in Michigan on August 4th, go check it out. And if you're in Michigan, you got to go to Elderly Instruments. Elderly Instruments is your trusted source for new, used, vintage, fretted, and stringed instruments. For the experienced beginner player, their vast selection of mandolins, guitars, banjos, ukuleles, and did I say mandolins, includes all of the accessories and books to go with them. All instruments are inspected and set up for easy playability, and their down-to-earth and knowledgeable staff are there to help. They're now in their 50th year. They're family-owned and operated. They ship worldwide, and you can visit them anytime, even if you're not from Michigan, at elderly.com. Give them a call, 517-372. 278 and find out why they've been around 
for 50 years. Thank you to Elderly Instruments. And thank you to Ellis Mandolins, handcrafted mandolins designed and built in Austin, Texas. I still think about the uh, Ellis Mandolin. I was playing one of two of Tom's private ones. Just beautiful sounding and beautiful looking instruments. So thank you to Ellis Mandolins. Let's get into this episode with Dan Tominski. Have yourselves a fantastic week. Follow me on the Facebook, the Instagram. Leave a review. Cheers, everybody. All right, man, that was my absolute pleasure to welcome to the podcast, Dan Tominski. Dan, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing well. So happy to be here today. I am so happy to have you, man. This is a, a real honor to have you on. I've been a fan for for years since I picked up the mandolin. Back in the day when I would just go to the bluegrass section, you know, I, was, I didn't grow up with bluegrass. I kind of grew up with like rock music, but I got a mandolin and I fell in love right away. And I would just go to the bluegrass section and um, and scroll through CD covers. And anytime I saw a mandolin, I was... Uh, I just bought it, you know, and carry me across the mountain with that cover with you on the cover holding the mandolin. I was like, well, I got to buy this. <laughs> and so and then, you know, <laughs> yeah, so I've been a fan for a while, man, and this is great. And you've got a brand new EP coming out here called One More Time Before You Go, a tribute to Tony Rice. I've been hanging out uptown, loady in that low-down rain. Watching good time, Charlie Friend is a driving me insane. And up on shady Charlotte Street, lower the green lights look red. I wish I was back home on the farm, loady in my feather bed. And I got myself a rocking chair to see if I could lose these thin down hard time. It is a beautiful tribute to the to the legend man congratulations oh thank you so much i was so happy to get to do some just to try to express you know my my sadness for for tony's passing in some way i didn't think at first i was gonna gonna put a collection of music together it just kind of grew out of you know out of uh my self healing i was trying to make myself feel better ended up uh um, working on a little bit of music and it turned into this EP, which I'm so proud of. It's, it's a cool thing to have. Oh man. It's, you should be proud. You know, the only bummer is that Tony isn't here to hear it because I think he would have, he would have been absolutely blown away by what a great job you've done capturing like his essence. And it's, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful tribute, man. That's so kind of you. Thank you so much. It does. It does mean a lot to me. I mean, everyone knows Tony was the, I mean, he's the reason I was playing music in the first place. He was the first one that really inspired me. It's the, I mean, I remember all my key points of when I first heard him play the first guitar solo, I heard him play. Um, it, it just, he, he was a life-changing musician and it was, uh, it, it was, it was awesome to get to, to put some music together with not only some of the new people that he touched, but some of the people that he made some of his influential music with. So it was, it was kind of neat to get to have that mix. Sam's playing on the record really, really adds like that. Just, you know, like, whoa, uh, you know, almost you have to double check what you're listening to for a second. <laughs> oh, Sam, you know, Sam and Jerry and Todd Phillips, they were the, they, you know, they were the magic combination, you know, that everything I heard those guys do just, there was, 
there was nothing else like it, you know, and it was, I was so scared, you know, that, that we did that in my studio here in my place. And it was the first time I'd recorded, you know, upright bass in my room and, you know, and there I've got Todd Phillips. And I was so, you know, I was, I was scared, I was scared to death, you know, that I was going to just completely botch it. But uh, we took our time. We ended up with, it just ended up, you know, being, being really, really good. So I was, I was, I was thrilled we got to do it in this way. Yeah. Was there um, was there one of the songs on the out of the five that when you decided to do this little tribute, was there one that you were like, I this is I have to be sure we do this song? For me, you know, one of the songs that uh, that I studied on was just Church Street Blues. That's that song for me had a right hand technique that when you watch Tony play it, um, it was like water pouring out of a glass yet the yet it was such a hard thing to accomplish i mean he made it look really easy so i spent so much time you know as just a training exercise trying to play church street blues in in the you know the way that tony played it that that was you know when i decided i was going to put some songs together uh church street was the first one that popped into mind for sure and great version of it, man. Um, I had multiple people when when the single was released send me versions and and a guitar player that I really like and respect. He's he's so good. He's like, man, I haven't heard anybody. He's like, I've heard a hundred covers of this song and I've never heard anybody do it um, that well next to Tony. And so I was like, well, yeah, that's for sure. So you you pulled it off, man. You can tell you were you you this party. It's ingrained in you, I think. You know. Well, I spent a lot of time, truly, there was, you know, there were two songs that I listened to, you know, like over and over again. Um, Church Street Blues was one of the songs. And the other was, which did not make the CP, but was The the Wreck of Edmund Fitzgerald. It was uh, one of those songs that when, I, I mean, I would, I used to live eight hours from Nashville while I commuted back and forth with Allison Krauss and Union Station. And I would spend my eight hour drive playing one song over and over again that was Edmund Fitzgerald and it was his guitar playing it was the right hand he just he he mesmerized me with it so you know that's another one that I've that I've sat down and really just tried to play it every note every stroke in the proper direction when he hit one string hit one string when he hit four hit four you know he's really tough to pick apart man his right hand is just incredible Wow, that's that's amazing. Well, I'm stoked for people to hear this this EP. I think it's uh it's it's going to be one of those classics that people just hang on to for a really long time and and hang there. And and you're not and, and, and you are familiar with classics, man. I I have to it when preparing for this and just thinking the fact of like maybe the largest selling bluegrass album probably ever has to be Oh Brother Where Art Thou. And as a guy who plays in a bluegrass band 300 gigs a year, I've had more people yell Soggy Bottom Boys <laughs> than, ah. than, than anything ever. And it's, it's got to be pretty wild to, to be like, you're, that, you're the voice of that song that is, people know maybe one bluegrass song if they're not familiar with bluegrass. And it's, it's that song with your voice, Man of Constant Sorrow. That's, did you have any idea when recording that 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 was going to be the, the case? You know, no, I don't know that any, you know, I don't know that you can imagine when something does what that particular one did. I mean, there's, uh, there's no way to, to gauge it. Um, you know, T-Bone Burnett, who produced the record, said right from the get-go, he was the, he was the one who, who was, held it up as a champion. He said, this is a hit. He said, the whole record is a hit. He says, this song is, is a smash. And, you know, to hear someone of that elk, you know, talk about a bluegrass song being a smash, you, you just can't really you can't, it's hard to put those pieces <laughs> together, right? It's really difficult because you don't see music. I mean, I've recorded the same type of music, you know, for a whole career. And 
with myself, other bands, and with Alison Krauss, arguably the best-selling bluegrass artist that there's ever been. Um, and still, you don't ever think that a song like that can do so much. I mean, 20-plus years later, it's still the song that people shout for. It's still the song that the cell phones come out for when you start playing it. 50% of the audience has their cell phone up recording. I mean, it's still a big deal. It, I, it, it has blown my mind for 20-plus years, still continues to. And, and and you also have, you were just mentioning too, so for people who listen to the podcast, Harry Frowby Clark was on the podcast a while back, from the formerly from the Wooks, and now he's playing mandolin in Dan's band. That is so awesome you had Harry on. Dude, Harry is one of my favorites. He is He's the guy out there. I might have said this before. I've said this to many other people. He's the guy out there to look for. Like, if you're if you're into mandolin and, and you're, like, checking out the whole world of mandolin, you cannot skip over Harry. He is the real deal, man. He is so good, I can't even stand it. It's incredible. And I'd had the uh, first Wooks album he had been on, but then at IBMA, I got to see him live with East Nashgrass in the Wooks. And I was just like, whoa, <laughs> it's just unbelievable playing, man. And, it, you know, the recording didn't really capture, but you guys just recorded a new album that's going to be coming out that you were saying that he's got some pretty great, great. Well, here's here's the deal. And I'm so excited for people to get to hear this stuff. But we've been working hard. We've been in the studio. I have 15 new tracks. Um I wrote everything on this record. This is a this is in my opinion this is my standout record of of anything I've done. This band, this combination of people um <laughs> especially some of the stuff Harry did on this on this record. He's going to have some of the mandolin solos literally as a mandolin player. I say this myself as a mandolin player. I'm going back and rewinding solos. I haven't done that in 20 years. <laughs> or maybe more. I, I don't remember the last time I've rewound a solo to so wait, I, I got to hear it one more time. And <laughs> now it's great. on the stuff that we've recorded. Not only am I in the studio hearing it a million times, but I'll listen to it in the car and I'll still go back and hear it again and just say, you know, he's he's got some a next level thought process. You know, it's, his playing is so musical. You know, it just he's really he's he's I just love. I love what he plays. That's all I can say. Yeah, there's um, I just watched you were talking about people having cell phones up for the show. And there was um, one at a festival y'all just played and you go into train 45 and uh, he just just tears it a new one for his break. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> good for <laughs> Harry, man. You know, we've never done any other solos. Like when we've ended with Train 45, typically after our last song, we'll let Jason play, you know, like a quick 20 seconds of Train 45 and end it. But uh, with Harry on stage, you know, I that the first time we did it, I looked over here. I was like, come on, Harry, you got to take something here. And he just, you know, and he just knocked it so far out of the park. That ball's still flying from the first set we played it. Um, <laughs> That's amazing. Some, yeah, somewhere over the West Coast right now, it's about to land. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, so every time we do that, it's like, it's a it's a highlight. I gotta I gotta see what Harry's gonna come up with because he doesn't play the same thing twice. He is a such a free minded player. You know, I'll say that about the whole band. The the band that I'm playing with right now, the Dan Jaminsky band in its current form, are such free thinking, listening, you know, uh, complimentary. Um, they're just very they're very seasoned skill players and and how they choose to to listen to each other as they play. It's really fun to play with people like that who who 
who really look at the big picture. Nobody's trying to step out front. And every time someone does something, it's complimented by someone else. Harry and Maddie are amazing together. Um, you know, Gavin and, and the whole, it's just crazy. It's it, they're, they're crazy good. I'm just so excited. I, I know you can hear it. I'll, I'll stop wearing you out on it, but the oh, man, so, no. crazy. so looking forward to this record coming out. Like no kidding. I, I, I really think the bluegrass fans, this is, they're, they're going to have to add this to their favorites list. That's great, man. When this, when the uh, new album comes out, if you guys have time, well, I should have you and Harry on at the same time and you can, uh, we can promote and discuss the new album. I, I can't wait to hear it. We'll hold the phones up and pick one, man. Come on. <laughs> That'd be amazing. That would be amazing. So, uh, on top of all these things that you've done, you you um you you play mandolin, which is you know from it's my favorite instrument. And in doing uh, these interviews, I've done over 140 of them. Your name comes up so many times from those Lonesome River Band albums as influences or favorite players from from just from all ranges of ages. It's funny. That just means that just means I'm the oldest one. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you you grew up in Vermont? I did. I grew up in uh, in West Rutland, Vermont, um, with parents that were music fans. Um, in the early days, it was it was country and western music and uh, square dances. We went to hear a lot of live country music in in the little local bar scene, you know, and went to a lot of square dances. And then started to check out some bluegrass festivals. And it was when we found those bluegrass festivals that it it the 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 music world opened up for me i was very fortunate to uh to have parents that were such fans that they would go everywhere some week you know every weekend we were we were going somewhere and then i you know started playing music and yeah that was what i looked forward to every week was was the northeast bluegrass festival scene and it's great that you had supportive parents that seems to be a pretty a pretty common thread with a lot of the great players such as yourself is you know well i'll yeah i'll say that all the everyone i know that's deep into it really did have parents that that were supportive. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know any of the people, you know, any of my colleagues that really had parents that forced them to play or made them play. Like everyone chose it themselves, but had parents that, that made it happen. You know, that's a huge thing. How old were you when you picked up the mandolin? Six. Six. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> what, um, the, was that the first instrument you played then, or did you play something before that? Yeah, I mean, mandolin, were, I'm going to call the first instrument that I played. I mean, I guess I had access to a guitar. My mother had a guitar, so I probably probably played a G chord on a guitar first. But um, my brother was, was in the Navy, and I remember he came home on leave um, one time with, with a mandolin and left it with me. I was six years old, and, you know, it was awesome because I had, you know, my brother brought me this mandolin, and... I didn't, I can't say, you know, how much I did on it, but I tinked on that mandolin when I was six, you know, from when I was like six till I was 10 or 11. Um, I'll really say when I, you know, when I caught the bug, I was 12. It was a 0044 album, J.D. Crow in the New South. Um, and the song that was playing when my brother drove in was I'm Walking, Yes Indeed, and I'm Talking, you know.
I'm walking, yes indeed, I'm talking about you and me, and I'm hoping that you'll come back to me. I'm lonely as I can be, and I'm wanting your company, and I'm hoping that you'll return to me. And JD's banjo just kept going over and over like this every solo was a banjo solo i, I was amazed right this the song just blew me away and i told i walked in i told my parents i said i want a banjo <laughs> and from that point yeah from that point till from when i was 12 basically till i joined the lonesome river band i was uh all banjo 100 banjo i tried to join allison Krauss union station as a banjo player tried to join lonesome river band as a banjo player um yeah, it just turned out to where mandolin was my destiny, and then that, of course, led to guitar, which I learned later on in my career was my my true love, and it just it was banjo that led me to it. It's so funny to say, like at six, was that the first instrument you played? Because in this genre of music, like there's people who start at four, <laughs> you know. It's, Truly, it's, yeah. It's, I mean, I, I know people that were like smoking at six. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, Chris Thiele came. Chris Thiele came up to me one time when when he was still very young. He was, you know, he was uh, he couldn't have been twelve, and um he, and and he came up, introduced himself, and and you know, and, and said, Dan, you know, he says such a, you know, I said I'm so happy to meet you. I'm such a big fan. He says I've, you know, he says I I, I learned everything you've ever done, and when he said that, you know, I, I took it as such a compliment, but I didn't realize that actually being literal, he had learned at twelve years old. He had learned everything I had ever done. So yeah, they're starting young. It's crazy. When you were when you were plunking away on that mandolin, where and, and you know because it sounded it sounds like you are pretty in depth with studying. As you when we were talking about Tony Rice a little bit ago, talking about like you know trying to, to get the pick strokes right and different things. Were you that obsessive with mandolin as well when you were starting out? I was obsessive. Well, and and still am to this day about anything that I do. I mean, I don't have you know a big wide you know list of things that I do that I'm into. But the stuff that I you know, take two. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty, you know, OCD with, and, um, I've always been that way. I was that way with the mandolin. I was that way with all my instruments. I wasn't in, in such a way that I tried to learn as much as I could. I, I never really put the emphasis on trying to acquire the knowledge in the, in the arsenal of, of, of different licks. I always took what I knew or what I was trying to learn and played the same thing over and over again until I could play it perfectly. It was more about execution than it ever was, you know, the, the acquiring of, of the knowledge. I tried to execute, execute, execute. So I drove my parents crazy. I mean, God bless my mom. You know, she, she, she really did put up with, with a lot from me. She would beg me to play a song. And I just couldn't do it. I would I would be so caught up in trying to execute the licks that I would just play the same lick over and over, you know, all day, you know. So yeah, I was I was always very particular about what I played, um, in the in how I played it more than how much I could play. What was what was some of the stuff that you were working on when you were were a young kid? Some of those licks, some of the players that really inspired you. Well, here's the thing: I didn't really have so almost all my life or all my influences live music you know my parents took me around so i would watch whatever i could see during the weekend and take back whatever would stick in my memory and and try to play it i have never had a music collection i've never had like i can count the records that i've purchased on five fingers wow um I have I have never collected music. I've never had a stereo to even play music if it wasn't for my car. I don't think I could have ever played any music ever. Um so the stuff that I played would be would be, you know, I wouldn't necessarily, you know, uh, push other musicians in this direction, but I played uh jingles. Uh, I played commercials. I played 
TV theme songs. I played whatever, whatever I heard, I would just try to play, you know, on my instrument, whatever I had in my hand at, fir at first, you know, the mandolin. And then, of course, transition to the banjo was kind of the banjo consumed me for, you know, those early years. But I didn't have any any people that I said this was the guy. Like when when I heard Tony Rice, I was well. I had been playing for for quite a while. I mean, I was in my my you know. The, I mean, the first time I heard J.D. Crone, the New South, I was twelve. So that was a 0044 record, and that made me want a banjo. And I got the banjo, and I just you know I was heavy with the banjo. But in Vermont, I didn't have access to a lot of the music. I didn't discover the bluegrass album band stuff until like '84 or '5. No kidding. Oh yeah, I was. It had been out for a while, and I remember. I, you know, I think I wrote it down on the EP. I was in a horse stall in upstate New York, and, and a buddy of mine, Gary Blodgett, came and he said, "You got to hear this." And he played me the first track of Bluegrass Album Band Volume One, and that's when, that's when the Tony Rice, you know, halo just kind of set down over my world. Um, yeah, so it's. <laughs> my my early influences were all live music. There were whatever local musicians I heard in the Northeast. And, um, you know, I mean, I had a few favorites. Like one of the guys I loved to hear as a banjo player growing up was Paul Silvius. He played with Del McCurry back in the day. Paul was one of the banjo players that just, man, he did it for me. Like he was, he was one of those guys. But there, I could name local, you know, Northeast musicians for quite a while that most people might not know. Um, all my influence was, was live music. Wow, that's so, that's really wild, man. So did you take, did, did you ever take like lessons or anything like that? Or was it just all pretty self-taught? Oh, no, I was, I was so self-taught, in fact, on the banjo that I, my finger roll pattern is, is one of a kind. I lead with my middle finger on, like, my middle finger covers the fourth and third string. My index finger covers the first and second string. A forward roll for me is middle first thumb, middle first thumb, middle first thumb, right? Middle on the, on the, so, yeah, so my banjo playing, when people, I didn't discover that I was playing banjo incorrectly for probably two or three years until I'd really formed my right hand patterns, right? So by the time I knew that I was doing it wrong, I was already, you know, I, I, I just never changed it. So to this day, I still play backwards from every other banjo player you'll ever see. <laughs> so, no, I wish I would have taken lessons. I would, I would tell all early musicians, I think, it's, I think it's huge to get some good fundamentals right from the start so that you don't play backwards like I did for in a lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's, it's done you all right, though. I mean, I think that's one of those things like so many. I, I think a, a good example. Again, I come from rock music. but I always think like Eddie Van Halen is a great example of a guy who did it his own way and, and ended up influencing people. But, you know, probably would have gone back and if taught the right way, might not have been Eddie Van Halen. 
you know? That, well, see, I, no, I think that's absolutely true. And music is one of those beautiful things where no matter how you get there, you're really, it only depends on what it sounds like. So if you get there a weird way and it still sounds good, hey, congratulations, you're making music. I've, I've for years equated it to a golf swing. There's a lot of ways to get it done. But at the end of the day, you know, you look at your scorecard and you get, you know, you see all these different, crazy different swings hitting the ball great. You see all these crazy different techniques, you know, getting getting all the notes out, you know, perfectly fine. So, yeah, there's a million ways to do it. But good fundamentals to start with, I think, give you some advantages. Those people that are going to freak out and take it to the next level, they're still going to do that. They're just going to do it with better technique. <laughs> right, right. I love your um, your right hand technique. It's definitely uh, interesting. There's a really cool um, video of you and Ronnie Bowman playing a set at, um, I think it was like Lil John's mountain music festival or something and you played mandolin for a good hunk of it and uh i was just watching your right hand the whole time and it was just so powerful man <laughs> well i appreciate it thank you know i i ended up taking the lonesome river band job on the heels of adam steffi um who was who was such a powerhouse mandolin player that when i you know again when i tried to when i joined the lonesome river band it was as a banjo player but they needed two musicians and tim austin asked if i would play mandolin until we found the right mandolin, you know, mandolin player. And I said, sure, I'll do whatever I've got to do to play music, right? So I played the mandolin, and it just kind of stuck. Um, so the mandolin that I was following when I joined that band, they had just made this record called Saturday Night, Sunday Morning, and Adam Steffi had just played some, at, for, the, for the time particularly, some just ridiculous killer mandolin. So I really found myself with the Lonesome River Band um, woodshedding a whole lot in those in those early years. Even though I played a bunch of mandolin, it was so important to me to play clean and powerful, you know, in my mind, like Adam Steffi did, though I could never really adopt his style. Um, you know, you know, Skaggs was one of my favorite mandolin players growing up. I thought he had the best attitude. He he always I felt like he got the most out of the least licks. He really, he really had a way of leaving his mark without having to play anything too crazy complicated. And I ended up with a, with a philosophy probably a little more like that than the, than the rapid machine gun fire sound of, you know, Steffi's mandolin playing, but uh, it definitely made me want to concentrate on, on that type of aggressive timing and, and the, the, how a man, you know, to make a mandolin sound powerful. What was what was that woodshedding like? Because, again, coming from playing banjo and really focusing and even though you played mandolin as well, but obviously it sounds like you were really focused on the banjo at the minute and you took it serious. Like, oh, I got a woodshed now. What did that look like for you, especially joining a band that you're like, oh, shoot, now I'm in a mandolin player in a band. I want to be the <laughs> the banjo player in. I sat in the house and I tried to play Daybreak and Dixie up to speed that Adam played it on the record. You know, if you go back and listen to that Daybreak and Dixie cut on Saturday night and Sunday morning from the Lonesome River Band. Um, for Adam, that was a tracking, that was his tracking mandolin. He just played it one time through, boom, they were done.
so I sat there and I listened to that solo and I, you know, and I just tried to play that fast and that clean. Um, I don't think I ever really got there. You know, there were times I've heard some old videos where I was actually surprised that I played as fast as I did. You know, there was a point in my <laughs> life where I could play kind of fast. It was, sure. You know, I, I still surprised myself. But when, when I think of fast players, you know, there are a few that stand out. And, uh, you know, Steffi was the top of my list. He was he just there was there was no tempo that he wasn't comfortable in so it was just i tried to i tried to acquire that and you know never quite got there <laughs> yeah Steffi's one of those head scratchers man you like just when you think you're getting something down that you're working on and you go back and listen to it at tempo and you're like oh <laughs> oh and then you watch him and then you consider that he was left-handed and played you know his pick hand was not his dominant hand his dominant hand was on the fingerboard so for that pick to do what it did is crazy, you know, and then you think about it, Chris Thiele, he's another one, left-handed plays right-handed. There might be something to the left-handed players having an advantage, I don't know. Yeah, I've always wondered that, like, well, I used to sell guitars, and, you know, there are hardly ever any left-handed instruments, and I was always like, well, shoot, man, it seems like on guitar sometimes the tip, the tough stuff's cording or trying to figure out these patterns. Maybe maybe you're better off starting as a lefty on a right-handed instrument, but there might be some... Well, I always thought for Adam, if you watch Adam's playing, his left hand was so clean, even if he missed a note with his pick, it actually still translated. It was audible. You still heard it because his left hand was covering that note. You heard it as a hammer-on, even if the pick didn't hit it. Like if he was like he he his technique, he played with the very, very end. I mean, the the last little piece of tip of the pick <laughs> was what was hitting the string. So he didn't have a whole bunch of the pick raking across the string for each note. Adam's playing, especially on the faster stuff, the smallest amount of material from that pick that could hit a string and make the note was what he was using. It was pretty phenomenal technique. Did you sit down with him when you joined the band? Were you like, hey, can you <laughs> give me No, some see, when I joined the band, he was gone. So I, you know, I only got to, I never got to be around him at all until the Allison Krause days. So it was years later when I joined Allison, of course, Adam was in the band. So now I'm playing with Adam Steffi, but I'm playing guitar. So, of course, you know, there's, <laughs> I was so relieved that I didn't have to try to <laughs> copy him anymore. But then I found myself in Tim Stafford's shoes, who is arguably one of the best rhythm guitar players that's probably ever, ever walked the planet. He was so I mean, he was one of the reasons I loved Allison Krauss Union Station. Stafford's guitar playing was instrumental to me in their early success. You know, their their rhythm section when Adam and Barry and, and Tim joined, that band transformed. They really just they turned into a monster. So Tim Stafford's guitar playing gave me the same type of difficulty, you know, when I joined Allison that I had with the Lonesome River Band. I was stepping into shoes that were much bigger than I was able to fill at the time. So again, back to the woodshed. And I sat, you know, and I sat, you know, I remember at that time I was living in a trailer in Virginia, man, and I had the guitar and I was just listening to any of the stuff that Tim did trying to acquire that, again, that type of aggressive, powerful, you know, that's what I've always leaned towards and all, all the music, you know, that, that I've loved. It's always been the stuff that's powerful, aggressive, has fangs, I, I like to say. And uh, Stafford had that and that definitely put a fire under my butt to... Uh, and and really helped me realize that that guitar was my instrument. You know, when I when I joined Allison's band, I still hadn't really adopted the the mindset that guitar was was my my one true love. But as I grew as a musician, I realized all the banjo playing that I loved, all the banjo players that I loved, they I didn't love them unless they were playing with a guitar player that was an equal. Like I loved Paul Silvius because he was playing with Del McCurry. I loved J.D. Crow because he was playing with Tony Rice. I, all my banjo heroes were playing with monster guitar players. 
So even if you want to talk Earl Scruggs, don't discount what Lester Flat added to that banjo. It's immense. It's uh, it's the relationship that I discovered that I loved. It was the banjo guitar relationship, and I think it really lent itself to Ron Block and I being successful musicians, you know, bandmates playing together for all those years because. We both have minds on each side. He's a banjo slash guitar player. I'm a banjo slash guitar player. So when we're playing with each other, we're really thinking like the person who's playing as well as ourselves. So it's 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 extremely helpful to have the banjo knowledge to be a guitar player. You know, I, I, I look back and realize it was my training to be a guitar player that had me stuck to that banjo. For people listening who, you know, are maybe auditioning for bands or want to join a band or haven't had a chance to be in a band, I mean, you've, as well as being one of the best in the biz, you've also played with some of the best in the biz. And what's some advice for people who are going into an audition, um, you know, that would, that you look for, you know, in a musician? Obviously, you, you know, you brought Harry into the fold, who's a great mandolin player. And, but, you know, you've got great set of ears. What are you looking for when, like, looking for a band member? So when I'm looking for a band member, or and, and I can say this, and I was extremely, extremely fortunate um, with the putting together of my, my current band right now, um, when I personally am looking for a band member, I don't really want to have to tell people what to play. I don't want to have to, like, there there are so many talent, there, there are a list of people on each instrument that could absolutely fill the job in this band that, you know, with, with some instruction and say, here's, here's how we'll do it. What I personally believe is that you should really try to be yourself, find out who you are as a player and be your best expression of yourself. If that happens to work with a band, now you found your magic. It's something that you're going to be happy with. It's going to work. If you find yourself having to play things that just clearly aren't something you would play or, or enjoy playing that has to work for the band, I don't think you're going to be a happy musician playing someone else's stuff. So for me, and I've said this to all my players one-on-one um, -on -one and as a band. I'm never going to tell them what to play. I wouldn't hire a musician that didn't already play the stuff that excites me. So what I'm looking for is individuals that have character. Um, people like Maddie, Harry, Gavin, Jason, Grace. They are, there's, I've never once had to say, hey, what if you tried this? It's, it's simply put the right people together and let them go. That's great advice. What about studio stuff? Because you've also done tons of session work. I mean, your your list of credits on uh, all music is 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 like the, uh, the just the longest list I think I've run across in a while. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. So, well, okay. So in this in in a way where I think where musicianship is 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 more of a gift than anything. I mean, it's a learned skill. Of course, you have to practice. But to be a musician, you kind of have that. You know, when you, I knew when I was very young, I was a musician. Like people who are true musicians, you feel it, you know it. Um, to play in a studio, that's a different thing. That's a learned skill. Um, the things that you practice in your bedroom don't translate um, always that easily into a studio. So studios can be, I mean, in my case, it was a lot of trial and error. I had a very fortunate situation when I joined the Lonesome River Band. Tim Austin owned a studio. So we got to go in and make our first records literally from the ground up. We, no one taught us anything. We didn't really have, uh, uh, you know, we didn't have any, any list of, of things that we needed to do. We just experimented. We tried everything, and then we learned the hard way. Uh-oh, we made this mistake. We can't keep this now. Oh, my goodness. The room makes more. I mean, there's, there are so many variables in a recording studio that have to come together. There's no, there's no one quick advice. 
you know, to as you play in a studio and you play with people and really learn how to play with headphones, that's a whole nother thing. Um, there are just, there are a lot of, there are a, a lot of different areas that you really do have to, to learn and practice to, to play in a studio. Like anything, the more you do it, the more comfortable you are. It comes to a point where, uh, hopefully if you, if you do it enough, you become more comfortable in a studio because that's really being controlled environment. That for me, that's my most exciting time. It's the recording studio because oh, no I know we're keeping, we're keeping this forever. Right. So you find yourself in the best possible situation where you can really hear everything, right? So you're in a studio, you have control. You have to remember when you're in the studio that you have this control and, and man, don't press the red button until everything feels great. I mean, that's my biggest advice. If you're not hearing everything the way it makes you feel great, you're probably not ready to record yet. But the studio for me, that's my exciting time because that's when I get to have everything sounding. It's absolute best everybody's you know everybody's got new strings and they're perfect tune and <laughs> it's quiet and every, you know like it's it's the ultimate scenario to play music in and uh you know don't take your studio time for granted it's your chance to to leave your mark you know take your time prepare make sure you know what you're doing before you go in the studio i mean it's fun to create in the studio i've done a lot of that but the best examples of music that i've made have you know it's we've gone in the studio with intention we we've you know we knew the arrangements we knew how the song was the the feel of what the song was supposed to feel like you might not always know how it's going to go but you know what the song is supposed to feel like so my suggestion is always try to get together if you can with your band or with the band beforehand so you can play these songs and have a little bit of security you know going in once you get it sounded great, man, you have to be free. You have to take chances. This is the thing I love about a studio. I take way more risks in the studio than I ever would on stage because on stage you get one chance and it's done. <laughs> right, so you right. don't want to make mistakes, but see in the studio, it's, I, I flip the switch to the other direction. That's the, I'm, I'm never worried about making mistakes in the studio because I can go back and fix it. So I'm trying for the absolute, I'm trying to balance myself as far to the end of that tree limb without falling off as I can. I try to, that's, I take the risks in the studio. And then you, you know, you hone it together and try to play what you think you can perform on stage. But the studio is the most fun. I think that goes hand in hand with being prepared, because if you're prepared, you have the ability to kind of take those risks because you're not wasting time learning the song in the studio, too. You know, 100 percent. You actually you nailed the key of what I was trying to say. Yeah. When you're prepared going in, you, you're free to take risks. That's you. You really did put it very well. Oh, thanks, man. <laughs> well, yeah, that was you. Thank you. <laughs> what's uh, let's talk a little bit about gear. What is um? I mean, I don't know how many mandolins you own, but what what's your number one mandolin that you would take to a session? Um. So right now I own one mandolin. Oh, no kidding. Um, it's been rare in my career that I have ever owned more than one mandolin through some of my career. I've had two mandolins. Um, I think right now I am on my seventh mandolin, which is, uh, the mandolin I'm currently playing is a Paul Newson. Oh yeah. Um, and I found it, uh, at Gruen's music store and, and I just, I, I fell in love with this instrument. Um, and when I when I acquired this instrument, I found myself in a in a very weird situation because I was playing Oliver Apidius mandolins. Oh, those are great too. Oh, they're phenomenal. I've been playing Oliver's mandolins. Um, Oliver built me a mandolin almost twenty years ago. I've been playing it 
pretty much the, the the whole time. I mean, that's my one mandolin here. A few years back, he made another master model, said he would like me to have it. You know, and my deal with Oliver was that I would play, you know, if I was ever not going to, if I was ever going to play something else, I would, you know, return his mandolin. Now, of course, my original one, I got to keep. Um, but the new one, when I got this new mandolin, I found myself in a situation. I had to make a very awkward phone call to Oliver and say, you know, we have a deal and I, I really, you know, I want to honor our deal. I want to honor our deal, but I have this new mandolin and, and he was, you know, he was, he was happy that, you know, I fessed up as quick as I did. And, and he had, he had a, he had a young teenager in mind, a kid, I can't remember his name, forgive me, but in North Carolina that he wanted to have the mandolin. So I was able to drive the mandolin down and put it in the hands of a, a new young musician who had, you know, big, big eyes, really happy to be getting this particular mandolin. And he was happy that it was me that got to bring it to him. It was a, it was an awesome situation that happened, but, um, yeah, mandolin, you know, I've never been an instrument collector i've always had um pretty much one main instrument of everything i mean i play all the instruments so i have i have one dobro you know one fiddle one mandolin one guitar one banjo you know one bass i, I don't have a collection of anything i've always traded up um so anytime i've ever had something if i ever thought it could be better you know like the only instrument that i have that is really uh, i'll call a soulmate instrument that's my guitar i've i've played one guitar pretty much my entire career. I, I acquired my guitar when I joined Allison and Union Station because that's kind of when I started playing guitar. Um, I took up guitar, you know, when I joined that band. That's been my guitar still to this day. Uh, it's, I've, it's been on everything I've ever done. I've used, I've used one guitar. So that's, you know, it's, it's easy for me in the world of guitars. I have a Martin model that is uh, a Dan Tominsky model, Martin guitar, that when I fly, I will play. Sometimes I'll play the new one. I'll play that one. But uh, no, I only have one mainstay. I've recently acquired a Gallagher guitar. I'm going to do some work with Gallagher guitars. I, I just got a guitar from them that I've been experimenting with. Super nice guitar. I might play that a little bit, but um, never been a collector. Always just had the one that mattered. I'm kind of similar. I, I mean, I have a few. Like, I love, I've got a couple... Like I have an older Gibson and a Mandola, but for me, like having that one instrument, it's kind of like, that's the one I just, I want to play it all the time. Like I want to get to know it. I want to play it every gig I do. I want to practice with it. You know what I mean? Like every day is like trying to get the best tone out of that instrument that I can possibly See, get. I love, that's my, that's my thought. Exactly. Again, you, if I've got three guitars, if I've had five guitars, I know people that have 25 guitars. I'm only ever going to the one that I love. And I'm playing that 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 one instrument, and I, it breaks my heart to think I have, you know, uh, multiple guitars sitting under my bed that I'm just not going to play because I really only love this one. So yeah, I've never I've never found collecting to to be a thing for me. Do you use the same pick when you play guitar and mandolin? No, I have to use a completely different pick on the guitar than I do the mandolin. They do not translate well for me at all. What do you use on the mandolin? I use a. Uh, um, more often than not, and I have recently been experimenting a little bit, but when it comes right down to it, if I had a session and I just no time to think, I take a 1.14 pink Dunlop. No kidding. It has, I have sat in recording studios with, if, if you can think of a pick I haven't tried, I'd love to know what it is. <laughs> I've sat with everything from wooden picks to bullhorn to every type of plastic, every type of thickness, and did this way. This, I'm going back to Lonesome River, day, Lonesome River Band days. Um, that pink 
Dunlop pick for whatever I use. I don't use the point. I use the rounded end of that pick for my mandolin playing. That's just always suited me. I just, that, that pick, you know, I just love, I know like Sam Bush uses just a fender medium, you know, just a, just, just a plastic fender medium that it's, it's a pretty similar pick. Um, for me, the, the Dunlop is just ha- the, the way it wears over time. I like it more. That's just me. There now, I can use a tortoiseshell pick on a mandolin if I make it, and and I only need it for about an hour because that's how long it takes to wear it out. Yeah, I so bet. <laughs> I can I can make them. I can make a very effective mandolin pick if I have a session and I want to play one song. I I've got some tortoise that I that I have for mandolin, um, but it's I, it never stays in rotation because again I can it's good for about an hour before I have to redress it and start all over again. So that pink Dun- Dunlop pick has always been great for me. Now on guitar. I make a tortoise shell pick. One tortoise shell pick lasts me probably uh, three, four, five years. Oh, no kidding. Lasts seemingly forever on a guitar, yeah. It helps, too, that you know how to reshape them and redress them. That's the other thing is, like, once those things go bad, whew. <laughs> I got a lesson years and years ago from Tony Rice, man. He's <laughs> sitting in the front seat of his of his Lincoln Town car, taught me how to dress a pick with his pocket knife. He said, man, you do it like this. <laughs> and since that day, I have done nothing different. Wow. I was, I was going to ask you that at the beginning here. Do you have... Obviously, Tony Rice played a huge part in your life. Do you have like a favorite Tony Rice story or a lesson that you learned, or just something that just like that you always remember? There are uh, there's a list of things I'm always going to remember with Tony. I mean, I remember the first time I saw him in person. I remember the first time I hung around him in person. I remember the first jam session I played with him. I remember, you know, like there are key moments in my life. Um, let's talk. Let's go. First jam session. I was at this point in time. I had yet to join Allison and Union Station, but I was hanging around the band. You know, we were friends. I was guesting on some live shows every once in a while, and you know, I was just there. They were recording in the studio. I want to say they were working on the every time you. Say goodbye record and um one of those days that we were recording tony called allison and said hey you you know you, uh, we're jamming at uh, john hartford's place vassar clemens john hartford and i are jamming oh my gosh <laughs> but yeah well allison was like oh man we're in the studio we're busy dan's here um you know he's not doing anything and he was like yeah man i'll come pick him up <laughs> so allison tells me hey tony wants to come pick you up to go jam at john hartford's with vassar and i just kind of looked at her i was like what I wasn't prepared. Like I didn't know what to, th- I didn't even know what to think about it. And Tony comes pulling in in that town car and he, you know, so here I hop in the seat with Tony, you know, and I, I didn't even have an instrument. Honestly, I said, I don't even have anything to play. He says, yeah, we got everything you need. We're good. Let's go. So I hopped in the car and I remember we stopped at a gas station. He got a chicken salad sandwich on white bread. He ate half a sandwich and I'm pretty sure that was probably his entire food for the day. <laughs> And when we got there, he took a pick out and he grabbed his knife. He says, well, I got to do this real quick. And before we went in, that's when he taught me how to make that pick. And he took his pocket knife out and he started scraping on this pick. He says, yeah, you know, he says, I don't like them too smooth. You got to hear the pick a little bit. Right. So he's scraping on it with a knife. And I used to use, you know, sandpaper and I was real meticulous about making sure it was like glass and it turns out, you know, who who knew, you know, it's uh, a, a really, uh, now it has to be a super sharp 
pocket knife, (laughs) which, whichever, you know, whichever since I've never, I don't know if I've gone a day without a knife, you know, on me. So I keep my little pocket knife, super sharp pocket knife. And yeah, if there's ever any question, man, the knife comes out quick dress back in business. That's what a great story. (laughs) That's can't even imagine. Vassar Clemens, John Harford, Tony Rice. Wow. Oh, it was, it was amazing. We went up into Hart. Oh, we went into Hartford's room up in his house. He had a cedar room that was just, you know, the, his music room and man, oh man, I would, you know, I know they recorded it, you know, cause Tony recorded all that stuff right there. I, I would give anything to be able to go find a recording of that. Wow, man. You never know. I guess that's, well, you never know without what's out there at this point, especially with the internet. So if anybody hears this and knows of this recording, holler. <laughs> at somebody yeah, right. Here. Wow. Right. Holler loud, man. I'm looking <laughs> yeah. for it. Yeah. Um, I got just a couple more questions. I know you have a bunch of interviews today, or at least another one right after this one here too. So I just want to make sure I get one of the things I like to ask people. Um, you know, I, I feel fortunate that I, I get to play music for a living and, and, um, I can spend a lot of time playing a mandolin, but a lot of people do it just for the joy of playing it. So if they can eke out even 10 minutes a day, um, you can make progress, I think. And I would wonder if, what would you recommend to somebody who, if they only had 10 minutes a day to work on, if they're going to pick up their mandolin real quick yeah so i think you're touching on the most important thing like what i tell people especially young people i mean if you have a situation where you don't necessarily have like big rambunctious dogs running around the house knocking things over i try to encourage everybody to take their case lock it up put the case under the bed right pack the case away keep the mandolin or the guitar or whatever it is that you're playing, keep that in an instrument stand in the main living area, wherever you spend most of your time. People will pick up something in an instrument stand that they will never open a case to pick up. Even someone who loves to play will walk by a closed case, but will not walk by a music stand. So, you know, for me, I can't say that anymore. I spend hours a day practicing like I once did. But I have access to my, you know, I try to make sure my instruments are out in a quick grab. So what I will do, I will play five minutes maybe. Like I play probably at home, I play more fiddle than anything. So my fiddle, it's out on a stand. When I walk by it, I mean, it's right there. How can I not pick it up? Right? <laughs> right, right. If I have to, if I have to reach under the, you know, if I have to reach under the, the couch and grab the case and flip it open and then put the chin rest on and tighten up, you know, get everything ready. I just, I, I play it a, a fraction of the time that I play when the instrument's out. So I just, I encourage people, keep your instruments out on a music stand where you can grab them. And every chance, you know, that when you're walking by it, I don't care if you play for 30 seconds, 30 seconds a day, you will improve two minutes a day, you will improve four times more. You know, if you've got, if you've got five minutes in you, that's enough to, to get where, you know, to, to have all the fun you could ever want to have playing an instrument. And then the other question, I normally ask a favorite beer. You're not much, you're not much of a beer guy, but I, I wonder what is your favorite fiddle song? If you were to pick up a fiddle right now, oddly enough, you what you've been playing, but what, what song would you play? I again I'm going back to my childhood early training I still do not play songs I do not play instrumentals no I don't kidding I don't have any song there there are no song exercises that I go to I play I play it what to whatever imaginary music is in my head it's never the same it's whatever I'm thinking if I'm thinking of this song I pick up the fiddle and I start playing along to whatever I hear upstairs That's no. amazing no, no rhyme, no reason. I just make sure that I'm playing in my, like for, I like to react. 
So I don't have a, I don't have a list of a, a list of licks or exercises or scales or anything that I do. I try to make sure that I can, at, at to the best of my ability, play whatever I'm thinking. So when I'm playing, I'm tr I'm trying to imagine the music. You're right. I'm I'm imagining a song and I'm reacting with my hands to whatever I imagine. If I'm reacting well, I have no idea what I'm going to play or what I'm playing. I'm just I'm, I'm, it's, it's all a reaction to playing. I mean, you start with scales and, and, and licks and you, 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 you do your things, but when it comes down to, to actually practicing playing music, I mean, I really do suggest trying not, I mean, it's great if you can play along with your, with your own music in your head and play, that's okay. Super duper. Put something on the stereo that makes you have to play to someone else's timing. When you play by yourself, sometimes you can fool yourself to thinking, I've really got this. I'm really playing it well. And when you try to play it with someone else, you realize, holy cow, it's not working you know, the way it could. <laughs> right. I try to make sure that you spend some time. I don't care if you play with a metronome. I don't care if you play with uh, a cassette tape, a CD, whatever. To to be able to react to something is is extremely helpful in the in the you know in developing as a as a musician. Well, Dan, it has really been a true honor to have you on the podcast, man. This oh, is oh, you're so kind. This you're is so you're kind. so kind. I really appreciate you doing this. Um, you know, again, you've it's it's just so wild to me um, that you know that you you know you're such a you're a great mandolin player and it's pretty rare that you know like the mandolin i mean you've been on avici songs that were huge hits <laughs> you know i mean you are it's so great to to talk to somebody who's you know it, it's it's this genre is always kind of like a smaller genre and things and i think it's just so great when things break out and it comes from that place of true love of music you know and it's pretty rare in 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 anything that's consider quote-unquote popular that it seems like there's a lot of heart and soul in it but just talking to you today just reaffirms my faith and <laughs> in in that you know there's plenty of heart and soul in music out there and, and people like yourself and people you influence and and stuff like that so this has been really great it's been great for me hey there's so much music out there i try to end every interview with the same thing you know my my encouragement to people is to go out and take in as much live music as you can i mean i know you can comb the internet and there's i mean you could sit on your you know on your deck and get all the music in the world you know in a day but people find or it's it's my belief that music touches your soul in a different way when you go hear it being created live find a way to to, to grab a friend and go hear live music whatever music you like and you know there's there's no one right music man go hear it all but go hear it live you will find it'll do more for you in a live setting than it can ever do when you're you know combing the internet great advice man this has been great dan thank you so much for doing this it has been my pleasure totally Wow, Dan Tominski. That was exciting to have uh, Dan on. I couldn't believe it when I got the email that he was going to do the podcast. So be sure July 22nd, the EP comes out. It's got a whole bunch of great guests, Sam Bush, Billy Strings, Molly Tuttle, just to name a few. So go on out there and be sure to purchase that EP. And you all have yourselves a fantastic weekend. Cheers, everybody.